Podcast. I'm your host, Navy SEAL motivational speaker, best-selling author for adults and kids, human performance coach, and YouTube personality, David Rutherford. Now, for the past 25 years, I've been exploring and researching the human condition in my attempt to discover what enables individuals and teams to succeed in every environment imaginable. And what I've discovered are some undeniable truths about what drives humans to succeed and fail physically, mentally, and spiritually. I call these discoveries the frog logic concepts. Now, my podcast has one mission. And that's to help you ignite the fire in your gut so you too can lead an ultra-motivated, purposeful life like I do. So stand by, because it's time to get motivated. Hoo-yah! Alright, one question. What is the truth about Benghazi? Now, I'm not going to sit here and make you wait. I'm not going to sit here and just pontificate about theories and ideas or go down this political ramp road, rampant, you know, craziness road. I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to get straight to it because I know you want to hear it, right? What is the truth about Benghazi? And the truth is six American patriots, six American badasses, six American heroes, service members, six American men saved the lives of 36 human beings when they didn't have to. That's right. Six men, six incredible human beings decided, you know what? You know what? There's a need. There's a call. And they went in the face of an overwhelming odds and adversity to save the lives of 36 people. Now, why is this story so important for you to know about, right? I, you've probably seen it. The, the movie just came out. It's been in, uh, you know, on TV for years now. It's a, it's a big deal in a bunch of political arenas. But why, why is, what is, what do you really need to know? Why is it important to you? And I'm going to tell you why, right? Because this is the tale of the real world, Right? This is the tale of the real world, the world that exists outside of, of your own world that you live in every day, waking up, going to work, coming home, being with your family, All right? This is, this is the real world of what's going on downrange, overseas, right? In the real world where there are people out there who, who don't like our ideas, who don't like the way we do things, who don't like our way of life, right? Out there. Right? This is the story of the real fight that exists that's going on right now as we speak because there are, there are men just like these men and there are women, all right, service women downrange right now in the fight. It's going on as we speak. And that's something that you need to recognize that this is not just something that happens every now and then. There's a big, a big fight, there's a big whatever, there's, you know, people die. And no, this is going on every single day. The potentiality for death destruction, right? That's happening right now. And it's critical you understand that because because this story, the story in Benghazi, the story you're going to hear today, it tells the real story of service and why these men chose to do what they did, right? Because that's the real story. It's not about everything else. It's about their actions, right? 
It's not about the words of others. It's about their actions. It's about their real story of sacrifice. This is a big deal. And it's also important for you to understand this, and it's important for me to tell it, because this is the story of my friends, my teammates, my brothers. And you need to know it. You need to hear what type of men these are. You need to know. You need to be able to think to yourself, my God, you know, I know a guy just like Tig, or I know a guy just like Oz, or you know what, I even know a guy just like you, Rut. Because when you, when you start to surround yourself with people of this caliber, people this willing to sacrifice at that level, this willing to serve the greater good in the way they did, you're going to become better. The more you hear their stories, the more you listen to these incredible acts of heroism. And I'm not talking, I'm talking the real deal in the real fight. Now, granted, there's some other heroes out there doing amazing things, but, you know, I'm not going to say that, you know, it's just tough for me to kind of put these other heroes we put up on a pedestal in our society and, and, and hold them up next to my friends. Because many times the people that we build up as heroes aren't quite the people that we that need to be the heroes. They aren't the people that should be influencing. They aren't the people that make the difference in our lives. Whereas these six, these six, they made a difference. They saved lives. And you know what? They can influence your life too if you just allow it to sink in. If you just allow what's going on to sink in to your heart so that it might inspire you to begin serving. Maybe it's not going to be in Benghazi or Afghanistan or Iraq or something like that, but you're going to begin serving others who need your help. The willingness to sacrifice yourself so others can live. And whatever metaphorical context you want to put that in, but that's what needs to happen. You need to hear this story and you need to be motivated to serve. Because that's the truth about Benghazi. Now, if you're not familiar with this, you know, and what happened... There was obviously, in, in not obviously because you don't know, but in Benghazi, which is in Libya, right? We had just overthrown Muammar Gaddafi or helped overthrow him. And, and we had a diplomatic station set up in a couple different places. And one of these places was the town or city of Benghazi in Libya. And, you know, on September 11th, a group of radical Islamic, you know, fundamentalists they got a posse together and they attacked our consulate in Benghazi. I wouldn't call it an actual consulate, but it was. They attacked this place where our ambassador Chris Stevens was was at the time, right? And this attack was a full blown, full planned out, full targeted mission to go after the ambassador and this whole thing. And in the ensuing attack, a bunch of amazing human beings that were about a mile away or three-fourths of a mile as crow flies, about a mile away, CIA contractors, right? They heard the call go out. And I'll tell you what, the people, the, the State Department, the Department of State folks, the security folks, got on the radio and said, if you're not here, we're going to die. Now, apparently... The base chief of the CIA safe house said, was like, we're not going. That's not what we're going to do. We can't risk it. It ain't going to happen. Stand down. Don't move. 
Now, they're denying that right now, and a lot of other people, but my friends, my teammates, my brothers, they say differently. They say that, you know, they did try and get them to stand down. But six of them, with Tyrone S. Woods, one of my former teammates and my boss in the SEAL teams, when we were at SEAL qualification training instructors, he was my boss. Ty was an amazing guy, and I'll get to him later. But, you know, he, he gathered the troops, these other cats, these other contractors. And you know what they did? They acted. Right? They acted. And they, they, they got in their vehicles, and they went down there, and they stormed that compound, you know, and they saved lives. Right? Now, unfortunately, Ambassador Stevens was killed. And another, uh, you know, management officer named Sean Smith died of, of smoke inhalation. They recovered his body, but they, you know, and then they had to retreat. And when they got back to the, the annex or the, the safe house, they came under fire all night long. And they held off literally hundreds of insurgents, hundreds of radicals that were tied to Ansar al-Sharia, right? An al-Qaeda affiliate. They held them off in this compound, these six guys. Now think about that. You know, what, are you, what are you willing to sacrifice in your life to protect the people you care about or to protect even people you've never even met or don't really know <laughs> who don't treat you well so much because there's a, a love-hate relationship apparently in the contractor agency world. But I'll tell you what. That's not what the story's about. The story is about the action. The story is about the men, the type of men that are willing to do this. That's the true story behind Benghazi. Now, if you want to really get into this, I highly recommend you read a book called 13 Hours, right? The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi, all right? You read that book written by a couple of my friends, right? And you'll understand the magnitude of this event and their sacrifice. Now, it's a big deal. It's a, it's a really big deal to understand, right? Now, this is called all, wreaked all kind of havoc out there politically, and I'm not going to get into that because that's not what the essence of the story is about. And when they went on to make this movie, Michael Bay went on to make the movie 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi, you know, his focus was on the, the telling the story of the truth about these men about that night, about their actions. And that's important to recognize because it's the truth of their heroism, of their ability to be committed to the team life, right? To put team ahead of self. That's critical to understand. Now, I was a contractor for a long time, right? I was in the teams for eight years and was a contractor for basically another seven and I'll tell you, you know, a lot of people do it for different reasons, but the overwhelming majority of guys that are contracted are doing it to continue serving this country, right? They leave their units in the Marine Corps, or Ranger Battalion, or SF, or the SEAL teams, or wherever, PJs, and they become contractors, and it's to continue that service. And it's paramount that they're out there doing it. Because many of the missions that are going on around the world, in the intelligence world, couldn't be done without these men. 
right? You couldn't get out there and gain the intelligence you needed without having the protection of these type of men. And this story proves, it validates the need to have guys like this out there, right? And it's this recognition of that need is why we serve. And it's in particular why these guys serve. Now, what does that mean for you? listening to this right now. Well, I want you to think about why you serve, if you serve at all. Do you feel a need to continue to service? Do you feel compelled to help other people? Do you can feel compelled to support or, uh, you know, your local law enforcement or government agencies or, or the military? I mean, have you served yourself? The, the question is, why do people do this? What type of human beings do it? Right? That's the truth. Now, two of the people that died in Benghazi were friends of mine. Glenn Doherty and Ty Woods. Now, I went through SEAL tactical training with Glenn way back in the day. And I got to tell you, Glenn was a special human being. And anybody that'll, that you'll ever meet that knew Glenn will say this. He always had a smile on his face. He was always the funniest guy in the room. He was, he was infectious. He made you feel good. He wanted to be a part of everything. He was interested in people. He made people feel wonderful. This is a man who served so much more beyond just wearing the trident on his chest and being a, a successful SEAL deploying downrange in Iraq and Afghanistan and being a contractor for years and years and years, serving in many countries around the world. In the, in the most dangerous places, he did so with a smile on his face because that was Bub. He was a guy that just made you better being around him because of his commitment to service. That's an important thing to recognize. And Bub wasn't just about, about you know, uh, carrying a gun, serving. Bub was beyond that. He was involved in all kinds of things that made a difference in other people's lives. He took his service one step farther from just carrying that gun. And that's inspiring. But Bub lost his life that night. And he died doing what he loved doing. And Ty, Ty Woods, Ty's got a 20-plus year career in the SEAL teams, earning a bronze star with Valor and Ramadi in, in 05-06. This is a man that, you know, man, he... You know the great thing about him, man? He just loved to go fast. He used to have this Mustang when we worked together. We get in this thing when we leave, and we go down to Pacific Beach together, and he would drive that thing, you know, 125 miles an hour down the highway, and he just with his hair on fire. And he was a great medic, and he's a great person. And he put up with my shit more than once. And I loved him. And I miss him. But you know what? He continued serving when he got out. Even with his new wife and his young son, newborn son, he continued to serve. And on that night, he served at the highest level. Ty led the charge into that compound. Ty led the charge. He united everybody, got everybody fired up with his hair on fire going 1,000 miles an hour, taking the fight to the enemy. That's Ty Woods. I love them and I miss them. But those are the kind of people that are out there doing that. Those are the kind of people we need to have in our lives. Those are the kind of people you should be searching for to surround yourself with, right? 
Those are the people who 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 help you sharpen your own iron. And that's critical to understand. That's important. We got to have people like that in our lives. The truth about Benghazi is 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 that six men sacrificed incredible things. They had families and 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 friends and teammates and they put it all on the line to save lives. And as a result, four people lost their life. Ambassador Stevens and Chris Smith, they lost their life, unfortunately, from the attack. And my two friends, Glenn Doherty and Tyrone Woods, died when a mortar hit a rooftop they were on as they were defending the rest of these people. Man, that's sacrifice. That's service. That's the real world right there. That's going on. So when you take a step back and you think about your willingness to sacrifice, your willingness to step it up, your willingness to embrace fear, right? Where do you drive that service? Where do you do with it? Where do you go with it? What type of person are you? What type of person have you always been? What type of what type of things make you get excited and they they make you want to do things for others to serve the greater good? Where does that come from in you? Have you always known it? And at what point in your life are, are, are you willing and able and prepared to serve the greater good on a higher level in the real world, the real world of sacrifice? Because that's the truth about Benghazi. Now, one of the things, man, is, and I get fired up thinking about it, is, 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 is you know, you, you talk to these men and you hear their story. And these, these men are not proud men. I mean, they're not, they're not going to sit there and puff out their chest and beat their chest and, and talk as if they're invincible. These are normal human beings who have been, have, at the time when it mattered most, were able to do heroic things. Because they had to. It was time. There was no other option. And it was the right option. It was the moral option. To be driven to go and do those things. To serve at a higher level. And thank God they all had a, a, a good amount of training under their belt. So they were able to you know, bring that training to a cohesive front. And, and, and maneuver to that, that compound. And rescue those people. Bring them back to the safe hour. And then defend attacks all night long. And fortunately, they were able to save the lives of 36 people. And that's the truth of Benghazi. Now, I'm incredibly honored and privileged to, to, to break to my interview here. And I, I was able to get, you know, in the midst of their crazy schedule with the world premiere and all their other interviews, man, they, they were gracious in their heart to reach out and, and, and uh, serve as a friend in need and to have them on the show. I'm, and I'm so proud, man, and, and just blessed to uh, have these guys on. So uh, uh, I hope you enjoy them. All right, so let me tell you what. I mean, literally, I, I, again, I'm coming. I'm about ready to explode. My mind is, is, is on fire. I've got 16,000 questions. I know these guys have got to get to their next gigantic interview with, with E! Entertainment News or with, with, with some, uh, the Wall Street Journal or someone big. But little old me, little old Rudd, they're going to take a little time. So I, you, everybody, I, I, again, I'm so so privileged to introduce you all to to my good friends uh Mark Oz I'm just going to stay with the everybody loves you guys as your call sign so it's just Oz and Tig man Oz and Tig so you guys welcome to the show thank you so much for being on thanks for having us man 
Awesome. All right. So let's just jump in because because I I, I literally I, I started writing questions this morning, man, and and they just kept going. It's like blah, 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 blah. oh, I can't ask them that. Oh, I want to ask them that. I want to ask them this. And 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 so we'll just get around it. So I think one of the things people want to understand is is who you cats are, right? Um, they, they see, they're going to see this movie. They're, they're going to see you on TV and they're like, all right, these are some big burly dudes, right? These, these are some, you know, some good old rednecks, right? From Colorado. And they're, you know, they're just, they're, you know, they're, but what, where did you, how did you get to becoming heroes? I mean, how, and I'm, and I'm going to use that because I, I can, cause I know you and, and how did you get there? I mean, what are you talking about? <laughs> so w- when you were kids, did you both know? <laughs> You wanted to serve the country? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, you know, it's my mom had this thing, this book she bought. You know, when you go to school and you get your pictures taken, you put has a little folder, you put the picture in, and on the back it says, what do you want to do when you grow up? You know, and it had doctor, cheerleader, lawyer, leader, <laughs> whatever, you know, soldier, fireman, policeman. Well, when I was in kindergarten, I put down, I wanted to be a soldier. How about you, John? Um, I never had a fancy book, but um. <laughs> <laughs> but remember, 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 Oz, Oz can't really read. Fancy though. in 1970. Yeah, I mean, I've always wanted to do the military since I can remember. So I mean, it's just some what? people. Was it, was it, was there somebody, did you guys have family members that served that were pressuring you or that you just saw them and you're like, man, I want to do that? Um, you know, I, not, no one ever pressured me. My my grandfather on my mom's side, um, he was a uh, he got out of the army. He was a major. He was a tank driver, tank, tank commander in Patton's army. Wow. Um, I mean, had five Purple Hearts, Silver Star, Bronze Star. Yeah. Uh, my three uncles. Um, one was in the Marine Corps for ten years. One retired out of the Navy after twenty five years, and the other one did four years as a radio man in the Navy, and then uh, got out and still did the same thing as a civilian just uh but so i think it's just always been on that side of my family i mean it's it's dna and tig same for you you had people around your family that were serving too not real i mean my my grandpa he was in uh, world war ii as a medic but uh awesome uh, but no pretty much the only one it's just something you know he didn't he never talked about it you know because those guys you know they never talk about anything so well i, I don't know about that because you know me bro i'm a medic and i can't stop talking so maybe maybe he, he didn't go to the right <laughs> medic school i don't know <laughs> no, I'm, not, no, I'm talking about world war ii guys check oh. check they had a little more humility than us modern day frogmen i know that i, I check roger all right all right so when was the decision like you hit a point in high did you know early in high school that you guys were going to enlist in the marine corps How, and 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 why was it the marines why wasn't it the army or the navy and don't answer that john i know what you're thinking already what <laughs> <laughs> why why was it the corps and when did you know um for me uh it was, I mean, it always been something in my mind. And then, uh, it was December of my senior year and, uh, me and a buddy of mine that went in together, you know, it's like, Hey, let's join the Marine Corps and went down and just did it. <laughs> I was just getting ready. Uh, it was like December 10th is when I joined. I turned 18 on December 17th. So I'm like, let's do it. And that was it. Literally, you knew it. You just walked in. You raised your. You said, "All right, yeah, I'll go to Meps today." If that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, and they're like, "Well, you know, we got all these fancy things." You know, they tried to 
said I could qualify for this, this, this. I'm like, I just want to be a grunt. I want to <laughs> jump out of do all that stuff. Of course you did. Of course. Why would you want to do any of the other things? <laughs> I think that was my question too. I mean, you have other things. Oh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> I love it. You can just, John, can't you just imagine Mark as a young little whippersnapper being like, yep, I'll take grunt. <laughs> I love it. How about you, John? Did you, I mean, did you, you know? I, knew, I mean, I knew it for a long time, but I think it was probably about the first time I watched Full Metal Jacket is actually when I said, I'm doing that one. That's cool. Now, was it, was it yeah. you wanted the boot camp experience? Boot camp, man. I was like, hell, that looks like tough, so I might as well do it. <laughs> No, this is what I love about you, all right? Now, and, and people don't really, you know, as you, at all your interviews, man, you know, you're, you're very steadfast and you're very resolute in how you talk and, and how you describe things. But, but I know that you're a madman, right? And, and so most, most people watch Full Metal Jacket and they're like, no, I don't want anything to do with that nonsense, right? Choke yourself. <laughs> but you're like, yeah, that looks pretty cool. <laughs> let's you know see if i can do it that's awesome and and did you go to paris island no i actually was hollywood yeah i i'm i I know the feeling bro i'm a west coast team guy as you guys always point out and all i like to do is comb my hair and surf but so (laughs) all right so but all right so you guys go in and one of the things that I always like to talk to people about their experience, especially in the Marine Corps, because you guys do boot camp better than anybody else on the planet. I mean, you're in a very short amount of time. You're able to transform, you know, uh, uh, you know, a young, impressionable kid and completely rewrite their their DNA of culture. Right. And their commitment towards the unit when you. When you guys finished boot camp and you got to your units, what was that like? Was that was it one of the most motivating experiences of your life, or were you just like, "Holy shit! Holy shit! Holy shit!" I think for me, it was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> <laughs> I was palms. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was a bit luckier. I uh, I spent I I left uh, infantry training school back when it was still ITS. Mm-hmm. Um, and went straight to the Philippines for a year and a half. Oh so my I god! Did the same thing. I walked out in town in the Philippines and said, "Oh, holy shit!" <laughs> I think there was a whole different reason why. But yeah. <laughs> now, for all of you out there who've never been to the Philippines on a on a Westpac or of any kind, it's a unique experience, especially if you're in Subic Bay. Were you in Subic Bay? Yeah. I- Subic Bay. Oh my God! Did you have any late nights crossing the shit river back on the base? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, you know, we'd spend a week out in the jungle, and then the next week we'd, we we rotated with uh, with one of the other platoons. So we'd do a week out in the jungle, then we'd do a week back uh, on on Libo, so to say, on our you know. And so you'd go to work, and we did since we only had every other weekend, we'd have a four day week. So right. We, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday night um, at, you know, Thursday afternoon, about three o'clock, you were done and you didn't have to be back to work till Monday. So you usually started freaking doing the, doing the, uh, the shit river crawl about <laughs> Monday morning or Monday morning, about three thirty, four o'clock and trying to get back in says you had to be there for PT at zero five fifteen. Oh my God. There, there's just so... How, there's so many endless stories about you know hilarity happening in in Southeast Asia back before 9/11, right? 
Um, John, did you have the wonderful, motivating experience of getting to go to Thailand or the Philippines, or where did you go? Uh, yeah, I got to go to Thailand, and uh, well, we get to float through the Philippines. Never got to stop, but <laughs> they're like everybody wave bye bye to a longapo, right? That's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so when you guys are in in the Marine Corps as young guys, what was what were the, some of the those life lessons that were imprinted on you guys that you know you've taken with you your whole lives? What are the things that really stand out the that you were taught? You know, I mean, it's just, it's that teamwork, that dedication, leadership, you know, um, it's your leadership traits, you know, it's justice, um, judgment, dependability, integrity, all of that is, I mean, it's ground into you because, you know, it's at at a very young age, you're in charge of a lot of people. You know, you're 20 years old and you're a, you're, you could be a Lance Corporal and you're going to be a squad or a fire team leader. Mm-hmm. And you've got five other guys that are dependent upon you for just about everything. And so you learn it, you know, you learn that at a young age and uh, to have that integrity and that honesty and this, the courage and, uh, and, and develop your knowledge so you can be that good leader. Same for you, John? Yeah, just a lot of self-discipline. <clears throat> I mean, that's really what come to me. That's what it came down to. I mean, it just, if you ain't got the self-discipline, you're pretty much going to be screwed. And it's amazing to see that, you know, the program itself, whether it is the core, the army or whatever you're going through, you know, the impact it has. And you start to like, like Mark, you see, I remember the first time, you know, I was an undesignated seaman in Fort Bragg going through 18 Delta and I'm looking around and there are kids, you know, my age that are in charge of 50 people in the army, right? An 82nd airborne. And I'm like, I could, I'm barely, I can barely handle myself right now, much less 50 people. My God, this is amazing. And, but it's cool because I I think one of the great things that I found was that you have your peers around you that are all striving to experience that development as well too. And, and you hold each other accountable. Did you guys feel that as well? Oh yeah. 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 Most definitely. You know, and, um, you know, and it's it's the way, like you said. I mean, it's the way that the military units have done it, or the military's done it from, for you know, two hundred years, is to develop people quickly and efficiently into being leaders. And you either step up or you left behind. Get left behind. Uh, oh, <clears throat> what's his uh, admiral? I can't think of McRaven. McRaven or McChrystal when he gave the speech. You know, this is why you make your bed. McRaven, yeah, at, at Texas, yeah. That's a great video. And for the listeners out there, if you just YouTube Admirable Craven speech at UT, you'll understand what Mark's talking about here. He gives this wonderful speech about accountability and how if you just make your start your day out by making your bed, it sets your that mindset, that discipline that John is talking about. And and I and I love that, man. And you know, I, I, you guys were obviously in before 9/11. And so what was the decision to to punch out, to get out and and move on with your lives? Um, for me, it was uh, family. I was um, interrogator translator at the time. I was deploying six to nine months out of the year. Uh, me and my first wife at that time had adopted our son. And, you know, family, that family unit is very important to me. And I didn't want to be gone all the time to, uh, you know, and I wanted to keep the marriage together and all of that. And I got out, become a cop, got divorced anyways. <laughs> time because now I'm a cop. Um, so... 
it's funny, you know, you, you have these things and, and you're, you know, you, you get so connected to your team, but yet you, you know, it's very, it's sometimes it's difficult to take those relationships in your unit or your group home with you. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it is. And, and John, did, did you have the same experience or did you just, were you, did you, did you finish your time and you were done or? No, I mean, I was going to try to be a, one of those little life or jar heads, but you know, um, I, I screwed up and got married and you know, <laughs> she, she was in the army. So join. So obviously you can't, you know, two branches can't, you know, and I end up just getting out and, and we're still married 16 years later. <laughs> and I have had the distinct pleasure of, of meeting both your wives and, and ladies, you, you, you do an amazing job with these two knuckleheads. I'm, I'm very proud that, uh, they're, they're, you're with them. Um, so as you punched out and, and you see now your life in front of you, um, was it difficult to make the transition? Uh, was it difficult to take, you had these amazing, the, these amazing influences from the core and now you're in the civilian world where pretty much not so much. Did you guys struggle at all with that transition? You know, I think it was easier for me because I went in, uh, you know, I, I left Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Um, I drove two days straight and started the police academy immediately. Cool. And I think that just kind of still um, gave me a little, you know, that structure a little bit. Um, I mean, the hard part was dealing with the saps that um, were trying to become cops. And it's, you know, you just shake your head and wonder how in the hell. Now you know why it is. But, you know, they develop. I mean, they're just a lot, you know, they're a lot less mature and haven't gone through the stuff that you have. I mean, I had 12 years in the Marine Corps. So half of the guys were 21 years old. And wow. so green. It was, <laughs> yeah, very, very green, especially as civilians. Yeah. How about you, John? What'd you do? Um, I sat on the couch for about two months because you know I'm, you're an independent. What else are you gonna do? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Join it, you know. I just left Twenty Nine Palms. I mean, it's a butthole of the freaking country. You know, it's just <laughs> it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. But I finally, I just got to. I don't, I don't even think it was two months. I just got, I was like, I got to do something. And actually I went into heating and air conditioning and started doing gas, gas pipe. Really? So, now, yeah. was it just a, a target opportunity? It popped up in front of you or? Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, All right. Job. So here, here you guys are, you're, you're going about your normal lives. 9-11 happens. And when did the first opportunity present itself? Like, all right, I can go get back in the fight through contracting and, and just walk, walk, walk the listeners through how that happened for each of you. I mean, for me, obviously, the, the wife, she was still in the Army, and uh, she got, ended up going to uh, Kuwait for a year, and, and uh, she actually found out there's some contracting work out there, and that's kind of where I started. That I've heard about the contracting work at first, and um, she came back, and we actually both deployed over there as contractors to stay over there. And, we, you know, my wife, she stayed on contract for about got two years, and then – three years actually over in Kuwait uh, doing stuff for the army, doing transporting stuff back and forth for the troops. And then, then I ended up getting on Blackwater about a year after I started. And what year was that when you joined Blackwater? Uh, late 2004, almost 2005. Okay. That that's, that's right. When I joined too, I remember, I remember it was so funny, man. You know, my buddy, I was imploding, literally my engagement imploded and my life was imploding. I was a mess. I did not handle the transition at all. Well, 
And my buddy Joe calls me up. He's like, hey, you know, I I got a job. You, me, Maritime Interdiction Program. Are you in or you out? And I'm like, all right, I'm in. Where are we going? He's like, Azerbaijan. And I was like, where the hell is Azerbaijan? Next thing I know, I'm in Blackwater two days later. And I hadn't been there since it was, you know, my first platoon. We went there when it had just opened, you know, as a small little shooting school. And now, what, there's like 2,800 people there. There's, you know, buildings. There's, you know, 10 times more tracks. And I'm like, my God, this is incredible. So you came in right in the heyday. What was that like? It was awesome. I mean, it was, uh, you, know, felt, you know, sometimes you feel like you're back with the, you know, in the cords. You're around that group of guys. And it was just, you know, it was awesome. I mean, it was just a good rush. And what program did you start on? <clears throat> uh, the same one that I, <laughs> I was on, but I was static. I was really? whole time and then uh you know i bugged them and bugged them and then uh got into grs that's cool that's cool and and because i've heard from my buddies who've, who've been in involved in the program or, or that program in particular that you know it's it's one it's it is a very extreme good old boy network and 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 they only allow very you know they, they don't allow everybody in and and so making it over there to grs was a, probably a pretty big deal wasn't it yeah, I mean, especially, I mean, like I said, I I just bugged him so much, I think, that because they told me I couldn't do it. And I was like, well, let's see if I can. And let me know. So I just kept going. And they're like, fine, go do it. And, I mean, it was awesome. I mean, just the fact that, you know, the guys gave me an opportunity. Because, like you said, he is a good old boy. And, you know, the guys out there I was working with around, a lot of the other GRS guys. And they finally kind of put in word for me, said, let, just let them do it. And, that's cool, man. That's cool. And that's that, that's that cool part about the contract world that I think people – don't understand is is you know it, it is it is the mysterious world right everybody thinks you know the mercenaries ah and and but it is just uh it's it's a it's a smaller group of of guys but what i love about it is guys come from all different units and really you know are forced to uh you know, really come together and, and overcome their cultural differences from their unit backgrounds and work together in the most extreme environments. And and that's, what's so awesome about the contract world. So Mark, yeah. what, what was it for you? How, go ahead. I'm sorry, John. And you can still trash each other. So it's fun. <laughs> that's awesome. Mark, how did you find contracting? Um, well, I'd gotten out of law enforcement after about six years, uh, started my own business doing uh, bounty hunting and bail bonds. The dog. Uh, it was. It, it was not his. His first call sign. Everybody was not Oz. It was Mark the dog. <laughs> <laughs> and then he realized there was a TV show. He's like, shit. <laughs> you know, and uh, there just there's no real. I mean, job satisfaction. I mean, you're you're pretty much working with the dregs of uh, society, and uh, um, you know, I mean, so contracting come up. You know, it's two thousand four. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> sorry about that. <laughs> no worries. It's all right. We have a little technical difficulty. Remember, we are not technicians. We are knuckle draggers. <laughs> That's all right. We'll, we'll put your your, fa- your faces up in that gap in the video once we launch the video. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, uh, you know, so. Um, who, I, who did you start working with initially? Ripple Canopy. Awesome company, man. Great yeah, company. Yeah. You know, I, I, and when I was actually when I was in law enforcement, um, I started, I, I joined uh, Na- Colorado National Guard, 19th Group, uh, SF. Uh, um, got there uh, 2001 when the war kicked off. Um, I'm a Farsi linguist. Oh, wow. 
the commander or the XO of that unit. Um, All right, I got just I got to interrupt you real quick. All right, tell everybody. I want you to say in Farsi, "Stop, or I'll shoot your head off." <laughs> <laughs> That's the only Pashto I ever learned. Right? Was stop, um, or I'll shoot your see, head off. If it's Pashto, that's different than Farsi. I, I know, but I want to hear it in Farsi because oh, it made so you're much better. Think I, I use Farsi a year or two. Uh, <laughs> so he's deleted it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Bought <laughs> uh, here. Uh, shoot, I can't. You're gonna make me think. I can't no, do that. I, I don't want you to think because your head will explode. Let's go right back in into the question. So, so, so you joined. <laughs> Um, they wanted me to go, you know, they, they were getting ready to deploy in 2001. Um, and I was due to reenlist with them. And, uh, so I'm like, Hey, am I going to go with you guys? I hadn't been through army selection for, um, getting tabbed or anything like that. I was waiting to go. And they're like the XO. He's like, well, no, you can't go. I'm like, why not? He's like, well, you're not MOS qualified. I'm like, okay, I speak the language of the country we're going to go to war with. I think that would kind of be important. He's like, no, nope, paper says you have to have them. I'm like, well, then I'm getting out because I don't want to go to war with people like you. Military intelligence. <laughs> you, the oxymorons never stop, right? <laughs> it's all about the check in the box. That's all they care about. Yeah. That's it. This is what you got to do. That's what you got to do. Yeah, period. All right, I think, so so your first I think that's what we experienced in Benghazi. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> Just, I, I don't want to jump too fast into that. I want people to understand you know, what, why, you know, cause you, you think about this long journey, the two of you've been on and it's, and it's, you know, for us, it seems normal. And, and that's the big thing. When I have guys on the show, we talk about it, like we're joking around about it and it's, and we're laughing and, but the, to the people out there who are listening, who have never participated in anything like us, they just don't get it. They don't understand. And they're, and they're fascinated by how, you know, these guys, you go from these 18 year old kids in Marine Corps to where you're operating in one of the most elite contracts for the CIA in the world. I mean, that's, that's a quite a jump for, you know, regular guys, but it, but it happened. And, and I think one of the things people love to understand is how did it happen? So, your first contracts downrange, what were what was that like? I mean, was it was it cool or were you like, oh my God, we are you know, we're we're pretty much hanging it out here? <laughs> Actually, it's kind of funny because I remember the very first time I went out with the with the agency and uh you know they talk about Donald Donald Trump and his comb over thing he's got going. So <laughs> you know, of course he's also see all these agency personnel. That's the very first guy that I see, and I'm like Oh Donald God. Trump works for the agency. Is that he was what? <laughs> this comb over, man. That's the first thing I just say. I think of Donald Trump. I'm thinking, oh my God, this is who we have working with. Okay, because <laughs> I didn't know what to expect. I never, you know. But I mean, <laughs> you're waiting for like Jason Board to step in, right? And you're like, and they're like, really? What? No. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know, but you know, but that was the first guy I saw. But I mean, it was. Uh, and I didn't know what to, well, obviously what to expect. Cause the first place I got to go to was Afghanistan, and uh, mm -hmm. but you know got there, landed, and I mean it was a trip. I mean just seeing everything, and you know, yeah, I'm a contractor going to my first war zone as a you know I didn't go as a marine, but mm -hmm. here I am, and uh, but it was awesome, man. It was just uh, I was like finally get back and fight, get to go do something, and that's cool. And that's a big thing for I, I think people need to understand it, and and it's I don't. 
you know, trying to help people understand it's not because we have bloodlust in our heart or, or anything like that, but it's, it's a component where you want to serve, right? You, you want to fulfill that, that transition point in, in our lives. And that's why we, we raised our right hand and we joined the service to, to go serve. And when, when, you know, when, when you don't quite do it in the way you create in your mind, <laughs> you know, when you finally all of a sudden get to, get to engage in some, in, in what you could personally consider as meaningful service, where you're making a difference on this incredible war against these, you know, radical Islam out there, man, that's gotta feel fulfilling, right? Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, you know, I kind of relate it to, you know, if you study, if you went to, to, uh, become a doctor and be a surgeon and then you never got to operate on somebody. Oh, wow. There's a little bit of something missing there. Awesome. And, you know, and I think it's kind of the same thing. You don't get to do that service or what you've been trained to do. And I think you hit the nail right on the head. I mean, you know, and, and that's what, that's what makes us up. That's why. I, and I think that honestly, I think it's uh, not to digress into something that's a little bit on the sad, Please do. The, the sadder side. I think that's a lot of why a lot of guys have trouble with uh, the suicide thing. Is they don't have that sense of purpose anymore in their life, and that's what that's what needs to you know we need to do to help those guys is reach out and give them purpose again. And I and I noticed that you know I've been studying PTS and and separation and and all the things for a lot of years now, and 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 work as you guys know I work with a bunch of charities that support vets in in that process. And what I found is is really it's that sense of of it's not it's not that, uh, you know, they saw something incredibly tragic or something that changed their lives and that imprint, it's more of that that sadness or guilt that they couldn't do more. That they, you know, and and I think, you know, to to talk about another movie in American Sniper, you know, they tried to depict that, that that's what Chris, it wasn't that he was the most prolific sniper in history, it was that he couldn't do more. And that's what haunted him. And and, and that's an interesting, and and I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, 22 veteran suicides a day is is out of control. I mean, we've lost the, you know about seven, over 7,000 casualties in the war, and and 120,000 with suicide. I mean, that's just something's wrong there. So I'm glad you brought that up. So Mark, the question was is for me with you is is how did you how did you go from was the, your first contract dealing with the agency or how did you make it to the agency? Well, I you know I when I was an interrogator in the Marine Corps, I'd worked. Um, in and around that that business, um, but then uh, when I got to Triple Canopy, I was in Bakuba, Iraq. Um, we did a couple contracts, or I did a year there, and they lost the contract to Blackwater, so I got picked up then by USIS. Mm-hmm. Uh, started training uh, Iraqi SWAT teams, um, ER units, and uh, and the uh, <laughs> that must have sucked. I got to tell you though, that's that that could that must have been. I've heard nightmare stories. Now I never got to go to Iraq. I was in Afghanistan the whole time. But what was it like trying to train those cats to do anything? Oh, it's it, it is. I mean, it's like herding cats. I mean, um, and then we would have to take them out uh, when they would go do a raid or something. You know, you had to make sure they did it right. So you mentoring. Yes, mentoring. <laughs> 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 so, uh, you know, and you had to see all aspects, I mean, from how you trained them. So you had to be, you know, see them from the outside of the building and you, then you'd have to go inside and see how they operated on the inside. Sometimes you'd have to just go in first just to make sure you saw that right. Yeah, just to, just to make sure it was the right way to do it. Here, right. no, 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 watch me. Let me know. Instead of like, get out of the way. 
<laughs> it was it was all in in it was all in the uh, effort of training because they were the best that they could be. <laughs> all right. So after this prolific experience of of knocking guys out of the one man position, how did you get to GRS? Um, well, I ended up uh, getting I did a year as uh, an advisor to one of the prime ministers, the former prime minister of Iraq. Oh, wow. Uh, and then I had been putting in for the GRS role and finally got picked up by MVM Okay. for a mobile ute position. Well, before I got to go to uh, the train up, they lost the contract to another company. So they offered me a static position. And so I'm, you know, it's like, Hey, it's a foot in the door. At least I get there. And, um, when I went through training, uh, uh, one of the guys that was in charge of that training, uh, pulled me aside after he uh, saw, you know, my shooting and everything like that. And he says, hey, you know, we've got this direct program we're starting. And, you know, I think with what you've got, you'd be good for it. So that's cool. That's cool. Now, when you guys finally got there, I, I, I know everything I've heard about it is that it's it's guys from all different places. I mean, you'll you'll have guys i've heard there's you know guys from the marine corps guys from army sf rangers you know i mean like like tonto and you'll have seals like ty and what is it is it difficult to find the cohesion in those units or are is the maturity kind of already there i mean what what are some of the the ways that you guys saw it happen in the good and the bad well there i mean it was uh I don't know. I think when I when I first got there with, with that that group of guys, it was just it was like a flow. I mean, it was just cool. I mean, everything just flowed to me. It felt like I mean, I just messed with everybody. Of course, I mean, he worked with me a, a little bit when and it just just you know, I just I'm I'm just a quiet guy anyway. So, I, I, <laughs> and I will say the first time that I met met Tig long long time ago. We got into the most bizarre conversation. In the first 20 minutes, we're talking about bloat. Now, if any of you are out there, farmers who, who you know, for me, from South Florida, right, from, <laughs> from Boca Raton, Florida, who, who you know, I, where I graze is the mall, right, or on the beach. And, and all of a sudden, I'm in this in-depth philosophical conversation about bloat. <laughs> and Tig went on and on and on, and I was shaking my head. Is this, I was like, "Is this real? <laughs> <laughs> is this really what the conversation I'm having right now?" <laughs> Sitting there, like, "Go, oh, really?" <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome, man. It was awesome. <clears throat> so, <throat> so you, I, I like the term "flow." You know, there's a there's a great uh, psychologist out there, uh, Martin Seligman, who ended, invented this thing called positive psychology, and he talks about a flow state, and it's that it, being in the zone, right? And and for most people, it, it's it's intermittent, and and you know, after they leave certain periods in their life, they they really struggle to find that flow zone. And what's cool that you're describing is is that the energy that you guys bring together and the focus in, in the mission, you're able to, to walk right into it and it's already there. It's like it's established and you step into it. Right. And that's pretty amazing. Mark, did you feel the same thing? Yeah. You know, and, uh, um, you do feel that you feel, and I think it's, it's, it's a testament to the training. Um, and the, you know, as, as immature as we can all be at times, John, 
Yeah, the maturity <laughs> that you know, the maturity that the guys bring that are in this that are in our industry to the table. I mean, you know, yeah, we all have our our units. We're going to give each other crap. I mean, you know, Navy Marine Corps. I mean, you know, the Marine Corps is the men department. The Navy is the other side. Um, I felt I knew that one was coming, Mark. I think you did. I think you've used that every time you've seen me over the last ten years. Well, of right? course, a buddy of mine, uh, he was in the, in the in the Navy, and I used to tell him, "Yeah, you know, uh, um, <clears throat> Navy, you know what a squid is? It's the lowest form of sea life." <laughs> His comeback to me is, "Yeah, and you know what we do, right?" And I'm like, "No, what?" He says, "Yeah, we swim about we swim along the bottom of the ocean and shit on the rest of the marine life." <laughs> 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 oh, that never gets old. <laughs> but, you know, and it's that. It's that give and take that um, the service is that rivalry that we have. But, um, you know, that at the same time, no one else is going to be able to give you that crap. Because if somebody else does, then, you know, game on. And that's including the bad guys. And, and you just come together because you know that's what you're mission focused. You're mission oriented. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's that's the mentality you have. And that's how you go forward. Now, now, one of the, and that's, and I, you guys are making some pretty cool points about, you know, the focus of the mission and, and, and that everything, you know, is, is subservient to that. And although there's the banter and, you know, I'm sure there's personality conflicts as there is within any unit and there's, you know, we're atypical guys and, but you, you move past that and you find the motivation to, to make the mission happen each and every day. Now, one of the interesting things that I've, I've, I've found in, in, you know, the, the stuff I've been reading about what you guys did is, is that, you know, there's, there's, it's not Benghazi every day, (laughs) you know, by any stretch of the measure. In fact, that there's a lot of kind of, you know, it's, it's not that it's boring or it's, it's not dangerous. It's just, it, everything's supposed to be low key and, 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 you know, you're, you're not on the front line with the other, you know, with, you know, looking at the bad guys and shooting your gun back and forth at them. It's all behind the shadows. And, yeah. and so, you know, with that, how do you guys, you know, is there, did each one of you have a way to get motivated every day with that? I mean, did you, did you have a routine? Was there some, or was it just part of stepping into that accountability space and that flow state that, that John talks about? I think it's, I mean, for me, it's about just, uh, it's every day. That's how you are. You bring that to the table. Cause you know that that needs to happen. And I mean, to me, it's, to me, it was just, I, that was as much excitement um, moving in the shadows is much of a challenge and excitement as being on the front lines getting shot at. I mean, being able, you know, I'm a blonde haired blue eyed guy <laughs> around the Middle East and fit in, you know, because it's not about just how you look. It's about how you act. It's about, um, you know, you live to their perceptions. Right. Interesting. Gonna, you know, they're going to perceive things a certain way. Well, if I pres- if I give you that then that's what you, that's what you're going to think it is. Wow. John, did you feel that too? Like in the places that you worked and I went to your, your, your bio online there and, and was reading some of the places that you you've, you've had the opportunity to work in. Did you feel that too? Like, I mean, cause you're not a small dude. You're, you're about as, you're about as, as American as it comes. Right. Did you feel like you were just this kind of walking target everywhere you went? I mean, yeah, well, Pretty much, because I mean, like him, I mean, I, I, it's kind of for me to, even if I put makeup on, I, I'm not going to blend in, but 
<laughs> and and he does wear lots of makeup. Everybody, I <laughs> Tonto wears a little bit more than me, but you know. <laughs> Tonto wears the most. I will say that. <laughs> out for a bit, right? Um, got another uh, commitment. I thought this. I didn't. It, that just that came up. I got to take care of real quick. Yeah. Can I get back with you and finish up? John will stay here and finish up with you. A- absolutely, no worries. Yep, for sure. We'll 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 just tap on your your interview uh, at a later time. No big deal, Mark. Okay. Thank, Thank you, brother. you, brother. Yep. Okay. So, John. One of the cool things is, you know, as, as you know, you started all of a sudden, you know, you're going from one country to the next country to the next country. Is that challenging to, because obviously you must get kind of, I don't want to say comfortable is the wrong, is, is definitely the wrong world word, but do you get, you, you get used to an operational space and then all of a sudden you got to go somewhere new. Did it, was that was that challenging? Sometimes it was. It just depends on the location and the group of guys you're with. If you're with, you know, with the group of guys that work in the Gazi, it makes it pretty easy, you know. But you have, uh, you know, those kind of those, I guess, I say like dorm room conflicts. I guess right, <laughs> dorm room conflicts. I, lo- <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's a little hard, but you know, if you, I mean, a good thing about bouncing around, you really don't get that complacent because you're in a new place almost all the time. So, uh, well, one know. of, one of the interesting things and, and I, and if you don't mind, we'll kind of, kind of shift focus and we'll, we'll move towards, you know, the day or, or the, 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 the space and the places when you got there, was, was there something that was different about it that you noticed right off or was it kind of just the same as the other places? Well, when I first got there is when they just overthrew Gaddafi. So, I mean, it was, it was definitely different than anywhere else because, I mean, you had all these, uh, obviously, the big downtown buildings that you really don't have in some of the other places I was at, but they were, everything was kind of shut down. Um, people are just slowly starting to come back into the town. Shops slowly started opening up and, um, you know, getting to walk around town. And, you know, in some places you can, but the locals there, I mean, they'd walk up to you and, you know, say, hey, you know, are you an American? Are you Westerner? And sometimes we just say, oh, we're, you know, we're Westerner. And they still, they want to shake your hand and say, hey, man, finally glad to meet you. Because they said, some of the people said they haven't seen an American down there or a Westerner down there in like 30 years. Wow. Yeah, so Gaddafi wouldn't let nobody travel down there. They always kept them, all, all the Westerners that came in, they kept them up in, uh, in Tripoli. So, I mean, they would buy us coffee. They'd buy us a dinner. And, I mean, it was just, it was a different, and it was totally different from anything where else I've ever experienced. So well, this is a really cool thing. And, and I, you know, and, and I'll, I'll share a little bit about, you know, I, I was able to see the movie last week. And, you know, little little pieces that they, you know, showing people's gratitude towards you guys. And, and, and you know, so it must have been just kind of overwhelming to hear being a Middle Eastern country or North African country. And all of a sudden people, instead of like hating you, <laughs> which you're typically used to now, all of a sudden they're, they're like, they're fired up that you're there and they're seeing, they're thanking you for ridding them. I mean, that's gotta be pretty special, huh? It was awesome. I mean, like, I don't, I don't never, like I said, I've never heard any other guys ever experienced anything like that. And I mean, it was just, that was just. I mean, it was just awesome. I don't, you know, I literally dude walked across the street to come up and shake my hand saying, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to finally meet an American. And, 
I'm just like, what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) The other guy that was with me, he's just kind of looking at me like going, holy crap. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like, wait a minute. This is, you're like feeling like you're on Mars or something. I like the show punk. That's why I was like, he's going to jump out or something. And, (laughs) Somebody's somebody's got an AK right now, and they're gonna start shooting at us. I know it. <laughs> we, you know, they liked. I mean, they, you know, very everybody else. They actually enjoyed us being there. From you know, I mean, there was another guy. We went out and uh, actually went fishing in the what we call the, the the shit lake out there. And same thing, people would walk by and they talked to us a little bit and like all friendly, and they'd walk off. I mean. It was just almost kind of like being home, just just stank down there. <laughs> it just was really stinky. <laughs> the profound words of Tig, right? It just stunk. It was like I was like I was at home, but it stunk. That yeah. means you have way too much time downrange, bud. When you make a <laughs> comment like that, that means you have way much, too much time downrange. All right. So as you as I, I know, though, obviously things as time progressed and. You know, you moved, it got, you know, further away from that liberation day. You started to see things change. Did that change the mood around the people you were working with, not only your team, but the other people you were working with? Did it change at all? Yeah, definitely. We didn't move around as freely, I guess you could say. We tightened up our reins a little bit and just, you know, try to keep a little bit more low-key, I guess, than initially. Okay. Um, one, one, as, as, as when did, you know, when did the, the team that you had that's represented in, in the book and in, in the movie, when did you guys all first get together and how long were you guys together before that incident? Um, I think that might have been, uh, Alaska came in, uh, about 30 days, maybe 40 days prior. Okay. All right, so about forty days total to kind of work up that cohesion and 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 come together. What 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 did, what, did you guys have some of that 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 dorm life experience? I mean, what did you guys do to get to stay motivated on a daily routine? Uh, it's obviously got to work out. I mean, if you don't work out, your stress level just you know it gets to you. But you know, we a lot of Xbox, man. <laughs> You know, all right, all right, all right. talking to each other, you know. <laughs> all right, of- I want everybody to know around the world that the secret, the true secret behind team cohesion in the shadowy world of contracting is Xbox. <laughs> hey, man, brings guys together. <laughs> it, it does. I, I tell you what, when I, I, I mean, when I first started contracting way back in the day, I mean. I would watch dudes literally play Xbox for like 10 hours straight. <laughs> and I was like, how do you do it? So I didn't want to be the outcast. So I tried learning. And I'm, I, unfortunately, I just suck at those games. I wasn't really any good either. But <laughs> but you do it, right? You do it just to do it. That's funny. All right. So here's one of the questions that I came up with. And, and you know, and, and I know and, and I want to try and, and I don't want to diminish the, the diminish the you know, what happened or anything, but I want people to understand our capability in stressful environments to find the light, right? To find the motivation. When it was 9-11, it was that day, did, and, and, you know, did you guys, were you guys kind of cracking jokes or were you stoked that you weren't working that day or, 
What was oh, kind of the mood? We were still working. Um, I actually had a move with the chief of base that morning, and uh, you know, it was just it was just you know, it's just a normal day for us. It didn't matter if it was a you know a nine eleven or not. You know, it was just you know they obviously shut down a lot of moves, but you know we still went to work, and I still ran a freaking half marathon that morning before I took Bob out. <laughs> Smart move, bud. Smart yeah. move. Yeah. Picked myself in the ass that night. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine your legs just burning, dude, later. <laughs> um, like, there's, I wish they, I don't, wish they put in the movie with myself and uh, Jack running up that dirt hill, man. My legs, I felt it like immediately going up that hill. I was like, holy crap. <laughs> You're like, uh, uh, Jack, can I, I need like five seconds. <laughs> and he's like, what? <laughs> You know, I'm just like, holy crap, this sucks, man. My legs are burning. And, of course, he's like, I'm already exhausted. Oh, my <laughs> so, yeah, God. Like, yeah, it was kind of, it was just, it was a, like, I mean, we both kind of laughed, even though we haven't made it onto the compound yet. But it's just like I said, it's just one of those moments. It just happens. And, well, then you move on. You know, it ain't like you just sit there in that moment. But it's a, it's a relief. It's a stress relief. It and, just happened. <laughs> and that's the cool thing about it, I think, you know, and I think it comes with the maturity and the confidence in the guys that you're around in those intensely stressful environments that you can, you can, you can find those, those, th- that, that levity inside to, to release it in each other. And, and also I think the critical thing is to be able to, to inspire that other person to bring them down a little bit, right. And into that back and forth. And it's critical, wasn't it? Oh yeah, it definitely was. I mean, even with the, me and uh, Oz kind of in the towers a little bit, you know, just those little moments, you, you know, it brings you back down, calms you down a little bit, and then you just wait for the second round to come. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so let all right. So when when it first started, and you guys knew, oh my God, shit, this is this is happening right now. You know, the 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 state is under attack. What did you, what, how did you, what was the motivation inside you? Like, what, what was, how, what were you processing? Because uh, I think that's what people want to know is they want to say, all right, yeah, these guys, they're going to watch this movie. They're going to read the book and they're going to say, my God, these, these six guys decided to risk their own lives. Why the hell would you do that? And, and so what was, what started going on inside you and what were you thinking about? I mean, I was just thinking about the compound, you know, and just getting my gear on, getting, you know, just getting ready as fast as I can. But then I'm thinking about the compound. I'm trying to, you know, what's the layout of it? Because, I mean, we still didn't know how we were going to go into it. You know, we didn't know where the attackers were coming from. We didn't know anything. And so I'm just going through my mind and, you know, I'm talking to the Rowan saying, hey, you know, we can go down the dirt road. Maybe we can go through the back gate portion. And Rowan's like, no, we uh, they, they're saying the back gate's where they breached at was at the back gate. So. That's why we had to take the long way around because they told us they initially had breached the back gate, which we found out wasn't true. They breached the front gate. <laughs> oh, oh the, I love good comms, right? <laughs> so, so everybody just trying let, to gain everything, I guess. So let me let me just inform everybody. So Roan, he's talking about Roan. Roan is Ty Woods, and and Ty Ty was a good friend of mine. I, Ty was my boss at at SEAL qualification training, and really just an amazing guy, and and feel very honored to have known him. And and I know you guys had kind of developed a relationship leading up to that day. What what was it about Ty in your mind that was 
that was infectious, shall we say? Because I know you, your love for seals is so endearing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, he was just a straightforward guy. I mean, uh, there's, I mean, he had, he had a, I don't know, he, he had a sense of humor, but not as much as some of the other guys, I guess, you know, but I know he was just, uh, like, I don't know, some of the other guys just, they don't, he didn't care about your background, where you came from, or you just cared about, you know, what, what you're doing and, you know, that self-discipline kind of thing. And, you know, he's just a uh, you know, straightforward guy. And it was, that's, you know, that's, that's what, what I, I just. That's straight. what I loved about him, man. Like I, I remember I came in as a, as a, a one platoon wonder in SQT and man, I thought, you know, I thought I was God's gift to tactical combat casualty care, man. And he shut me down so fast. <laughs> like, and he's like, Rod, I don't, I don't care what you think, you know, this is the way we're doing it. And you're going to get your, your, your shit squared away. And I was like, damn, Ty, you're, 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 you're a jerk. <laughs> yeah. But... <laughs> but, but that's what I love. He, there's exactly. an expectation of performance, right? And, and he, and what I love is like, Hey, you can say a million words. You can do. You can whatever. Bring your resume. What? But what counts is your performance and your commitment to the team. Exactly. He, you know, he made sure everybody had it, and you know, he set up the training with the state guys because the state guys were curious on how we did stuff. So we brought them over before the ambassador came down, and you know, we ran them through active shooter drills. We ran them through actually uh, a bomb going off, and Jack actually played one of the guys got his leg blowed off, and. You know, it was just, I mean, I don't know if it really helped them, but it definitely helped us. Cause it... <laughs> the, the cool thing, and I think a lot of people are interested is because, you know, you go to these places downrange, and is there opportunities to train? I mean, do you guys train constantly? What do you do? Oh, yeah, we, you know, we do, we, either we did on a whiteboard where you, you know, you do all the what ifs that you can, and, you know, sometimes, you know, it's kind of hard to do the, I guess, the, the not really live training, but, you know, live training with the locals being around. We kind of had to kick them off. And so you don't want them to know what exactly how we're going to defend our own compound. But, you know, we would try to do it at least at least once or twice a month. But other than that, we'll do it on the chalkboard. Cool. Very cool. I dig it. And I, and I think that's a, a, a thing. You know, because I think when people will see the movie, they're going to be like, wow, these guys just, you know, took off their, you know, their their suits and their Superman, you know, you know, capes were on and they just went and did it. But you got to understand, man, I mean, the, the preparation, the focus, the commitment level is at such a high level. So one of the things when 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 you find when when Ty Arone finally said, all right, screw it, we're going what was that like? Was it invigorating? Was it exciting? Tell me what was going through your head on that moment. About damn time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, it's about time you did it. But it was just like, let's go. You know, finally we're going to just, you know, who cares what Bob or whatever saying, we're going. You know, and and luckily, I mean, luckily the the the, the spoke guy that was at the front gate, he didn't even, he did he just lifted up the bar and we took off. I mean. They, and yeah. that was it, man. And, and. As you're as you're in the middle of this, you know, incredibly amazing, fulfilling experience, right? All the years, everything that, all the training, all the focus, all the, you know, the determination to get here, so to speak. And 
and and now you're sitting there, you're you know you're running and gunning, and I've heard great stories about you, Tig, and and just how you were waylaying people, and it just fires me up to hear. And and as you're sitting there firing next to these guys, that now all of a sudden you know it's life and death for real. You know, what, was that invigorating? I mean, was that was that motivating and exciting for you? Yeah, I don't know if it's, I mean, definitely motivating because you want, you know, you want to make sure the guy next to you is obviously going to be safe. So you're trying to take down your target and he's doing the same thing. You know, I mean, really, you're protecting each other is really what you're doing. Um, you know, it ain't like you're just going out, just laying people for yourself. You know, you're laying people so you get all you get to go home, you know, and uh, it's, you know. I don't know really it's that's, that's just... the coolest thing right there and I think people have to understand that you know it's it's not about you know these these acts that that you guys did it's not it wasn't about you it wasn't about hey I'm going to get to go to war and I'm going to get to shoot my gun at real targets and all that it was hey I'm going to go save some lives and I'm going to make sure that the guy next to me get, makes it home that's amazing isn't it yeah it's a, it's a it's a it's a big rush. I mean that that's that's I think that's where the rush really is. <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. That's one of the coolest things I've ever heard, brother. And I appreciate you saying that. I mean, I think people need to understand that that's the rush. That's the bond. The bond is to be to be able to instill that confidence and trust and and that that love for another human being, saying, "Hey, I you, I got your back. Don't worry. Let's go. We we can do this." And, yeah. and you guys felt that, huh? Oh yeah, it was it was, you know, just the best way to put it is like when we were getting ready to go onto the consulate grounds, and I said, "Hey, we're moving on to the consulate," and you know, Ron, he didn't have to talk, he didn't say anything, he's got up and sprinted. That's and like I said, that's just that trust. He knew he didn't have to say anything. He knew we we're going to be right behind him, even you know, even though he ran probably faster than I think I've ever seen him run. <laughs> he's a fast dude when he wants to be. <laughs> he's elusively fast. <laughs> We're just never planning to, you know, catch up. You know, is what we're doing. (laughs) So one of the one of the interesting things that uh, you know I've heard, you know, read and and seen in the movie is is there were these waves, right, where you had these these high explosive moments and then these lulls in the battle, and these high explosive low and then lulls. What was it like as you were down in the valley of the low? I mean, what did you guys do to support one another? What did you guys do to keep each other motivated? What were some of the things that went on? Uh, the good thing is I think we were all, like, grouped together. You know, we had we were just by yourself. So, you know, me and Oz, we just kind of talked back and forth a little bit. Obviously made a couple of jokes about him being going deaf. and. <laughs> Because he is deaf. <laughs> but he's old. <laughs> he is. He's like 135, everybody. Oz is, Oz is actually over 100 years old. <laughs> yeah, I think he might have started the Marine Corps. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So you guys are, are sitting there. You're, and when, when you have those kind of light moments, but then it would, it would obviously come back to reality. And, 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 and what would you guys do for one another to get fired up as you – would start to imagine or not imagine, but feel that pressure was coming. Uh, we just tell each other. I mean, me and I was just like, Hey, let's, here we go. Let's go again. Let's, you know, <laughs> I mean, it was that part getting ready to go. Was, it was, it was pretty easy. Cause they actually kind of made it easy for us. Cause they'd be like, you know, they, they stocked up on that one corner and you kind of like, you know, I mean, you start pumping up. It's like, okay, here they come. So it's like, I think it's just more of an internal thing 
then after you actually tell each other because you know you're just like here they come so your adrenaline starts going up going up and 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 one of the things that's interesting i i think you know because when as regular people experience these levels of of adrenaline boost you know it's either they almost just you know fell off a trail or they almost got hit by a car or you know they had a, a minor heart attack nobody's out there getting shot at on a regular basis, you know, in, in a, in a foreign land. So, you know, I think a lot of people feel and experience kind of like that adrenaline takes over. Right. And actually what's going on is your limbic system is overriding your prefrontal cortex and your ability to think clearly. How did you experience that? And, and how are you able to stay motivated and focused in this very, you know, very challenging arena? I mean, what, you know, what I'm gonna, you know, especially actually going over there because you know, obviously I was just sitting in the car and your adrenaline's pumping, you're pumping. You know, you got you got a little shake. That's so what I kind of, I had a little shake, like you know, a little anxiety, a little. You're like, here we go, here we go. You know, nervousness, but you know, I just, I mean, I just go back to all the training I went through and just try to focus it, you know, as much as possible and. I don't know. That's, actually, I think I shot better that night than did it any other night. Well, I guarantee that's true because I, I know how bad of a shot you are. Um, so, you know, one of the cool things is, is as uh, you know, you as as you know, you're you're seeing these other people that I, and, and, and this is an interesting question is because I don't know if if. They, they, they portray it a little bit in the movie is, is were the people that in were inside that were in, in, not out on, you know, what you guys were doing and, and holding off this incursion, you know, did you get a sense like they were supportive or were they overwhelmed with fear or were they motivated by your actions or were they, you know, what was their, their attitude or did you, did you even recognize it? Oh, I mean the, the other, the case officers. Yeah, yeah, the people, yeah. They were, uh, they were really smart. I mean, they would, uh, you know, we'd call, we'd ask for, like, water or something, you know, when we were, like, up on the towers. And, I mean, like that scene when uh, the case officer comes up on the roof and falls flat on her face. I mean, that happened. But, I mean, <laughs> I mean really, so, I mean, she's risking herself because you don't know when the attack's going to happen. I mean, she could have got hit by a stray bullet. and But, you know, I just, I think it probably motivated them inside, you know, uh, knowing that we were outside defending and shooting and because obviously they, they they can hear it going on um yeah but we didn't see a whole lot exactly what they were doing i went in the building one time uh when uh we were trying to figure out what the damn sheep were doing <laughs> you can see the sheep a lot better you know because out there all you saw was a black shadow you couldn't see what the hell it was <laughs> That's like my favorite part of the whole story. <laughs> we actually, I mean, we probably were like for like about a half an hour. Should we shoot all these sheep? Should we just? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going, you know what? If we do, and you know, they're probably going to charge the American like $30,000 a sheep, you know? Oh my God. I, I remember the first time going over to Kuwait when we were getting ready to deploy to Afghanistan and we were training out and they had that camel crazy rule over there. Like if you shot a camel, cause they just walk across our ranges. Right. And if you shot them, it was like $50,000 or something. So here you guys are, are you got your little IOU sketch pad. <laughs> all right. There's, there's, there's five grand, there's 10 grand. Cause you're killing all these sheep. 
Oh, they, I mean, they don't care about human life, but you screw with their animals. It's a whole nother world, man. Oh my God. That, now that's, that's twisted motivation. Right it there. Is. <laughs> but, I mean, like, you know, I was just, I mean, it was just so, yeah. It's so, surreal, isn't it? Yeah. It was just funny. Cause there's, just, and then the sun starts coming up and I'm still in the tower going, and then I see the sheep. I'm like, you mother. I wasted all those rounds. <laughs> Was there ever a point where, like, you guys were like, "My, my gosh, you know, this is gonna, this is gonna keep coming and keep coming"? Did you ever, like, man, we need to, we need to have a, a breakout plan or in an E and E plan? Did you ever, did that ever come up or anything, or was it Alamo City? It was, uh, <clears throat> it was between the uh, the first and second firefight. Actually, I got down and went over, started talking to the uh, the TL and said, "Hey, dude, you know, uh, in just case we gotta." Diddy Mal out of here, we got to let our guys pack up, you know, our laptop personal stuff. And, you know, that's when I, you know, thought about went over, got my stuff. And as I was heading back over to the tower, that's when we got uh, assaulted the, uh, the second time. So, right. I mean, they were thinking about it, but, you know, we just didn't know if we were going to really do it. And then obviously we ended up doing it after the third attack. But, I mean, you know, if that militia had never come, we probably never would have left. We'd probably still be sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> but but they did come. They did come. Oh my God! So the the one of the one of the one of the, there's obviously many tough moments in 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 the movie. I'm sure for you and and because you lived it in those tough moments. But after the, did what, did it ever distract you when when you know those the the you know the the tragedy of 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 Glenn and Ty did it ever distract you enough to where you're like all right I I've got to stop and and process this or did you just keep going keep going and and was it the focus of of those people and saving their lives that drove you to that? Yeah, you know, <clears throat> you know when I went up there initially on the roof and did what I did, you know I mean. You know, I mean, it really, like I said, it, you just got to keep going. And, you know, I went inside and, you know, still kind of ticked off that took those guys forever to get up on the roof with me and help me out. But, you know, I think more anger kind of kicked in then. I think I was just a lot of anger, I think. And uh, that, I think that's kept me motivated and focused just because, you know, what happened up there. And just yep. pissed me off. It's know, interesting. Like, and, and anger, a lot of things, you know, a lot of times – because you, I can imagine with you know these. I mean, you've had what? I mean, it seems almost six or seven huge adrenaline pushes and coming down. I mean, these are not. It's not like you're in a CrossFit workout, right? You're you're literally fighting for your lives, and so it, we're talking a whole nother level of adrenaline. Now all of a sudden, you know that that wears out. Your body just hits a point, so that anger probably. You know, although it was the worst possible anger you could have ever experienced, it was it in in some ways it was a, a motivational factor to continue on to to yeah. go to the end. Because yeah, because then I mean, my focus was a little different. Where it just not really, be, I mean, it did instead of like protecting these guys, I want to go kill all these fuckers that I could. <laughs> <laughs> turned a little bit that way, but you know, it's but it kept me going. Then, Good. Yeah. You know, when we got to the airport, I think that's more when I think uh, it more hit me when we actually got to the airport. The first plane took off, and we we're obviously we're sitting there for a couple hours, and you know, then you're kind of kind of starts going down. That's when it gets you. Now, when it was it in the movie, it portrays that it was it was you know just a few of you left on on the tarmac waiting. Um, mm -hmm. Was that an opportunity? And and did you guys say you know were you were you finally like wow we made it 
we made it through this or was there any of that processing happen or was it just still focused? Let's get, you know, it, it, you know, let's get everybody back finally. And then, and then we can, you know, drop our guard. Yeah. I mean, we didn't really drop our guard because we're still obviously militias there and, you know, we didn't have to come to us again. So we've let body stuff on, but we had our weapons down systems, you know, Obviously, the weapons are still loaded and just in case, you know, obviously, because we can't run nowhere We're in the middle of a freaking field. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> seeing this plane take off, we're like, okay, you know, it kind of felt like, okay, we're gonna, it could be over. And, but yeah, my guard wasn't down until really we got to Tripoli, but even then, you didn't know if Tripoli was gonna get hit. Yeah. So it's that, when did you finally hit the point? At what point in your experience was it like, I, I made it through. I made it through this landing in Germany. Wow. Wow. That's, that's a long time. That's heavy. And, and, you know, obviously this has been a, a really emotional experience. It's been, uh, you know, an incredibly motivating experience. I, you know, I, 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 I'm just, you know, so overwhelmed with pride that I know you and, and that you guys did what you did. And, and, but I, obviously when you, you never, it it takes a long time to process these things, right? I mean, it just, you, you don't just be like, all right, good. Yeah. Check. All right. I just got in a firefight in my life, lost two friends and okay. Yeah, I'm good. Let's go on with my life now. Right. You know, it, it takes a while. So, uh, you know, was, was, you know, the book coming into play did you know, kind of like walk us through that and, and explain how that came to be. Um, I think it was Tonto. I think he didn't want to work anymore. So I think after the day we got back, he started talking to the publicist. But <laughs> he's never wanted to work ever. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I had to wait a couple of months. I mean, I wanted to go back to work, obviously, but you know, not being able to talk about it. Of course, we got a little debrief, and you know, and then that was kind of it. You know, really, and me and Oz, we talked a little bit here and there when he finally got out of the hospital. Which you know, I think I didn't talk to him until. Oh, about late October. Oh, wow. So, you know, obviously you're sitting at home. The only people I can talk to is really my wife. And she, I mean, she kind of understands she's prior military, but I mean, that's it. And so, you know, a lot of anger issues when I first got home. And, but we went back to work. Then, you know, Tonto kind of, kind of initiated the book. Well, Oz was going to do it a different way. He was going to do more like a spiritual book. And I was going to tell story because he wanted to know the rooftop stuff and and that's how i was I was just going to do that and keep working and then tonto and then it just kind of with everything in the media but mitch kind of had a hard time getting a lot of stuff out of me <laughs> i would imagine you're not exactly an open book so to speak to to use a corny you know whatever yeah, i've gotten a lot better since then but uh <laughs> I mean, like when, uh, I, I mean, I still got the recording, so I kind of listened through it and, you know, I didn't give him like any detail. I just kind of said, oh, I went up on the roof. I put two tourniquets on this guy. I went over, put tourniquets, and I said, over to Rowan and Bob, and that was it. I went down the roof. Yeah. It just, he's like, calm. He's like, yeah, so what else happened up there? I'm like, um. <laughs> yeah, nothing. You're never going to get it out of me. Well, I, you know, I, I, I want to thank you for, for you, you know, you opening up because it, it ain't, it ain't easy to process that stuff at all. And, and, and you and I both know with as many friends as we've had. And of course with your experiences and I've had something much smaller that I've dealt with myself and, 
you know, it, it is the process of talking about it and getting it out and, and finding the people that do get it and do understand to reinvigorate you, right? And to support you and to show their love for you and and to have that faith build around the moment and, and for it to to give you strength. And 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 it's been really cool to watch you in that process. And especially with you know, with what you guys are going through right now, which is freaking crazy, man. This this movie was did your mind just literally melt when it was like, Yeah, Michael Bay's gonna do a movie. Yeah, it was uh, crazy. I mean, uh yeah, it was <laughs> it's hard to really I mean I knew it was going to be awesome because, I mean, it's a big guy and it's, we're just hoping he'd do it right. And I think he did. He got it down, I believe. Now, as, when, as you guys were on set and going through it, and I know the great Harry Humphreys, who's a former SEAL from Vietnam, and he's, you know, he's been working with Michael Bay for years and years. His first big movie with Michael Bay was The Rock when it was like the first actual SEALs in movies. And, and, and you know, he's had great operators in a lot of his movies all the time. When, when you guys were with Harry and his team and, and you guys were on a set with these actors, was it, was, did you guys notice that the, the crew along with, and obviously Michael Bay's very motivated to, about the movie and, you know, but the actors and the crew, was everybody motivated to tell the story? Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, we could see, cause at first they didn't tell anybody who we were. We just kind of showed up on the set. I mean, obviously the actors knew who we were, but you know, the crew really didn't. And then, uh, you know, towards the end of the night, um, he kind of, you know, brought us up in front of everybody. And then like the next day you saw like more hustle and more motivation because you know, it was what they say, you know, they actually got to see the people they're doing the movie about. And, uh, so it really motivated them a lot more to even do it. And, yeah, there was a lot of hustle. Even though you know Michael Bay, we always say he was like a drill instructor. Some of these people, <laughs> you know, he's got that crazy way that he's just I, apparently like he'll set up all the shots, and it'll he'll just be like it's like a shotgun splatter. Which one you're gonna do? And it's just go go go. Right? Was did that make you guys tired, or were you like good work these work these guys? It was awesome. <laughs> That's cool. Was, but you know he'd be sitting y'all and they. Would, you know, dude, be called the camera, the handheld camera. If a dude wasn't doing it right, he'd tell him like once, twice, third time. He's, he's like pushing him out of the way. He'll grab the camera. This is how he and he he just does it. You know, it's freaking. It was. I mean, he he's motivating to watch. <laughs> That's cool, man. And and you know, because here he is. You know, he's been entrusted with you know one of the greatest moments uh, and most tragic moments of your whole life, and to tell this story. You know, it's got to be motivating, reassuring to have a guy that's as passionate about his art form as as this guy, and he's and he can tell a sick story, man. I mean, it really is amazing. Well, one of the one of the questions that I got was it was it in terms of the actors, was it tough for you to instill your you know your you know your motivation in the guy who portrays you was it was it hard was it was it good to work with him did you guys sit down what was that process like no i think they were i think they were very well motivated before we even got there i think they're just when they heard the story and they got the you know they're they told me you know you guys are going to meet them and i think that motivated them even more and you know i first got there I mean, they, they kind of read through the book, the book and the script. They kind of knew what was going on. And actually, when I got the, the Malta, I ran them through our PowerPoint presentation that we did when we go out and do speaking. And 
they're just, you know, ad motive. I mean, and then the other guys wanted to hear it. And then so now all the actors are doing it. And then some of the crew came in and they wanted to watch us do the presentation. And, you know, I mean, they're just all pumped up normal. I mean, it was just, yeah, they were just ready to rock it, man. Now, I, it, that's that's a cool thing. And, and I, you know, I think one of the challenges that it must be for an actor, you know, they're actors, right? And and that's what they do. And and you know, actors take a lot, a lot, a lot of shit out there for their their professions because a lot of them are ninnies, right? But you know, here you have this these this this group of young guys, you know, who are uh, you know have stepped up, so to speak, to really tell your story and are doing it with 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 integrity in their hearts and they're really trying their best to do it was, did you have any one-on-ones and, and Pablo was the guy who portrayed you, right? Or was it? Musa. Yeah. 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 It was, what was it? Did you have a one-on-one with him at all? Uh, just over the phone. Um, I didn't get to meet him until we actually went on set. Cause he got picked kind of before just like a couple, like, I think just like a month before they're heading over there. Oh, wow. It was, he was like, him and Max Martini were, I think, the last two guys to get picked. So, so you and Oz were the last because you guys are so good looking and so hard to portray that they literally couldn't find actors good enough to be you guys. Yeah, they had to find that guy who kind of he could do that uh, with the miming thing, especially for me because you know. Because <laughs> you, you you're you're lucky if you'll say sixteen words in a day. <laughs> <laughs> what was kind of funny for me is 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 you know there, there's two quiet characters so to speak or you know two of you guys you and 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 boone right and and in the movie and and it's funny i, I was i always was like yeah tig doesn't talk as much as tig is talking in the movie i don't they're getting that wrong <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. All right. All right. So the movie's coming out. It's, it's got it, you know, and I know you just had the huge premiere in Dallas in front of 30,000 plus people. You know, they, they called you guys back on stage, you and Oz and Tonto. What, what was that like? Did you feel the love of that audience for you guys or what? Oh yeah. I mean, it was, it was very uncomfortable, but very awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because, you know, it ain't really, you know, because I always feel like people, I mean, because when you're up there, you know, it ain't really about us, you know, I, so it's kind of, it's, that's why for me it's like uncomfortable, but it's just awesome that, you know, people are coming together and wanting to know the true story and it's it's a non-believable feeling. It's just great. And, and the true story of of the book and, and the movie and your experience is, is what, Tig? What is the true story behind this? You know, just exactly what happened that night on the ground, you know, how, you know, the, what the, how the ambassador and Sean Smith died and, you know, how Ronan and Bub died and how they were taken care of, that kind of stuff. Because, you know, the families are being lied to about all of it, you know, and just kind of, and even the public is being lied about what happened. Because a lot of people, you know, they just want to say, oh, you know, it was only one firefight over at the consulate or, you know, it was just a little couple of skirmishes and stuff like that. It's like, well, no, no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you I was there. <laughs> you know, it was just even like when they talk about the video about about a protest, that even to me if that kind of bashes the state guys that were over there that, that were trying to protect the ambassador, you know, you're going to sit there and tell me they're outside the, on the patio talking and they can't hear a protest going on outside. You know, it's just that kind of thing kind of ticks you off and, you know, it's 
it just need to be told. I mean, it's part of history. You got an ambassador we haven't lost in 30 years. It need to be told correctly. I agree wholeheartedly. And, and my, my favorite part and what I believe is the greatest truth about the night is, is just how many lives you saved. I mean, these are people that if you guys hadn't made the decision to do what you did to, to put your lives literally in harm's way. And, and, and quite frankly, you know, it, it, you know, two, two teammates we, we did lose. Right. And, and, and so, you know, that's a critical, critical thing to acknowledge. Have you had a chance to reconnect with any of those people whose lives you saved and, and what have they said to you? Uh, I mean, quite a few of them. I mean, there's a, see, probably about five of them I've been able to talk to one kind of on an almost a regular basis and you know they're just full of gratitude I mean uh you know one of them got to come out and actually see the movie that night and he was you know his family got to come out and you know they're just completely honored and just nothing you know yeah I mean they they even he was saying you know he got maybe Bob might have been a little bit more not as aggressive but you know that that friction between him and Tonto that was there but that was Tonto with everybody <laughs> And I'm hoping I'm going. I hope Otanto is going to come on because I'm gonna call him out on that, and hopefully we can shed a little light on his his bizarre sense of humor. <laughs> so, you know, it's yeah. They, I mean, you're gonna have your guys that say, "Oh, you shouldn't be talking this and that," but you know, somebody had to. Yeah. I mean, get the truth out there for the for the fallen guys. I mean. And I got to tell you, man. You know the fact that I. I you know, I went through training with Glenn and, and that I was friend. Ty was my boss. And I got to tell you, um, it, it's it's a it's an honor and a privilege for me knowing that you stood side by side with my brothers and you fought as hard as you did and you love them as much as you did. And and it just makes it overwhelms me with motivation and, and, and just pride, Tig, that that you were with them. And I appreciate it, brother. And I want to thank you for it. Hey, I appreciate it. I mean, that's what keeps us motivated. That's what keeps us going, you know, because we didn't have that from from you guys in the public. I mean, it, obviously, we got shut down really quick, you know, so. I, I dig it. Well, so, you know, you've got this amazing, um, you know, this, this groundswell, and it's just about ready to blow out. I know this thing is just going to get insane. It's going to get big. You're going to be, you know, on this insane speaking tour. You're going to, you're going to be spreading this message, this you know, and, and so what is, what is the next thing that's going to happen in, in, in Tig's life? And what, what, are, what is, what's next for you? I'll probably have to go to speaking classes. I think. <laughs> or you can go to the, the rut school of ener crazy energy and, and I'll, I'll, or you guys just have me come show up. I'll do a five minute warm up for everybody. And then you guys go to town. Yeah, because I got, I mean, I can sit there and just, you know, I don't even like speaking, Gabe. It's more like just a show up engagement for me right now. I just kind of go up and I just sit there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess Oz is definitely <laughs> coming a little verbose, isn't he? <laughs> I mean, Oz, we do a lot together. You know, we, me and Oz, we usually go around speaking together and stuff. And uh, I mean, it's, you know, a lot of it just comes because of that, the teamwork that we got. And we work off each other and, you know, we, motivate the crowd a little bit different but we're both kind of in the same situation on the rooftop and it just um and trying to get people you know to 
like you're the motivational stuff. I mean, that's it, that's where it hits. You know, you got your guy up there, and he can kind of say the same thing. And when he gets injured, and I got to get him up, he knows he's got his motivation to get up because he knows I got to go and get Rowan and Bub. You know, it's that kind of stuff, and it just works together. And you know, people they love it, so we just kind of kept doing it. And, well, I, I think you should. And 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 if anybody's listening, you got a company out there, and and you're looking to to you know tighten up your organization and 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 help them understand the power of teamwork and and brotherhood and and focus and and motivation then you know absolutely look at at hiring Tig and Oz to come in and and speak to your company or your sports team or your organization or your church I don't care what it is these men will change your lives they will help you see things more clearly uh, than you did before you you listen to their story because it's an amazing story it's an unbelievable story of courage and heroism but more importantly a story of love and motivation to to save human life and to work together and to sacrifice for one another. So, you know, if people are looking to hire you, John, and, and, and to, to come to their company, how can they find you right now? Uh, they, a lot of it they can find is like either on Shadow Wars Project, uh, the, the foundation that I started, or, uh, you know, the website Benghazi13hours.com or Great. even our book pages. I mean, you can just hit us up on that too. Just that easy. Cool. And, and so everybody, I would, I highly recommend, you know, watch, follow along with this because again, and, and I want to make this real clear to everybody, these, you know, I mean, I think everybody, ha- you're going to see the movie in, in it, in, you know, movies are movies and they have this incredible way of, of, of amplifying human, the human <laughs> experience to where it's almost, you know, in a superhero level. But I, you know, my goal today was to let the listeners know that you guys are just regular guys who a long time ago made a commitment to serve the country and never turned your back on that commitment after years and years and years. And, and because of that, you ultimately were led to this moment where you were able to save these lives and experience this thing and make America proud that there are men like you guys out there in the fight. And, and I, and I think that's, that's critical. So, you know, John, it just, it's such an honor and a privilege to have you on the show, brother. I love you. Uh, thank you. Hey, thanks, man. Yeah, no, I know, I know Oz will be a little bit more motivated than I am. I'm kind of, <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're a thousand times better than I thought you were going to be, <laughs> but you are a Marine. All right. That's all we got for John. <laughs> so stay tuned. Follow him on, on Facebook. Go to the, the, go see the movie this weekend or, or next week or whenever you can. Uh, it's awesome. So thanks, John. God bless you, buddy. Thank you, man. Well, I'll tell you what, if that, if those stories don't get you fired up, don't help you realize that it's, it's not, it's not in, you know, these outlandish, you know, superheroes out there that are doing great things in the world. It's normal people like you and I, it's normal people like you and I that made the decision to Roger up and serve at a higher level to serve the greater good. To recognize that there's a need, there's a, there's a reason that we have to get out there. There's a reason we have to participate. There's a reason we have to sacrifice ourselves for others. Because it makes us stronger as a group, as a people, as a country, as a nation. And this is something that, you know, we, we, we hold so near and dear to our heart in the brotherhood that we're willing to die for it.
I mean, Ty and Glenn died for it. They died in Benghazi because of the brotherhood, because of the commitment to that service, because of the commitment to their calling, because of the heroic nature of who they were. And their desire to make sure that human lives didn't die unnecessarily. Now, when you get out there and you see that movie, I know you're going to feel something. I know. I got to go to a private screening a couple weeks ago and, and was able to sit with my brothers, one brother in particular that's in the movie. And I was next to him, and as he relived that, you could feel that pain. And that thing, you know, the whole time I'm just praying in my heart, I'm saying, God, please help my brother. Please help all these men know that we love them. Please help them know that that their love, that their sacrifice is not in vain, that the rest of us hear it, we feel it, we want to support them, we're there for them. That America hears it. That America recognizes the the power, the magnitude. That there are those people like these men that are downrange right now, willing to give it all for this nation, for this country. To support us, to keep us strong, to keep us safe. Because the enemy is vigilant. The enemy is out there, they're training, they're planning, they're getting ready to come over and kill us right now. They're getting ready, They're, they're preparing to kill my friends, my teammates downrange right now. Other contractors, other units, other soft units, regular units, agencies, it doesn't matter. There are hundreds, if not thousands of people that are downrange right now on the brink, potentially of getting attacked. And there are men like these that are standing watch, standing tall, serving this great nation. And when you see that movie or you read that book, Hopefully you'll feel that too. Hopefully you'll feel that that spark inside you. That that's something that ignites your gut to stand up, to rise, to get up out of your chair and off the couch and out of whatever you're doing in your life to intensify your purpose in order to serve the greater good. That's the power. That's the truth of this story. I hope you hear it. I hope you hear it in my voice because I'm telling you from, from, from firsthand account, man, that these men are amazing men. But they're not superheroes. They're not much different than, than the rest of us. They were in an unfortunate place at an unfortunate time. And fortunately, they were there. Because they became the truth of the human spirit, the human condition. They proved that no matter what, with the right motivation, with the right focus, with the right drive, the right commitment to team life, the ability to embrace your fear, that they were able to go forth into the most extreme environments imaginable with people shooting guns and rockets at trying to kill them. In the face of that kind of adversity, they marched forth. And they acted. They acted like the true soldiers they are, like the true heroes that was inside them. And the truth is, they saved lives. And had those men not been there, had they not been willing to sacrifice, and, and my two friends, Ty and Glenn, had they not died, those other people, they'd be dead too. Most likely everybody would have been dead. But that's not the truth. 
The truth is they're alive. The truth is Benghazi, this the story, 13 hours, the secret soldiers in Benghazi, it's these men, these regular men that did completely amazing things because of their call to service. That's how it works. And I hope you hear that. I hope you take that on board. And I hope tomorrow or today or whenever the opportunity arises that you will rise to the occasion and you will serve at a higher level. Because if you do that, if you do that, if you're willing to sacrifice for the greater good, for something other than yourself, then that's the truth that makes America better. All right. I love this, man. I absolutely love this. I love doing podcasts. I love telling you what I feel. I love I love the fact that you guys are listening. I really appreciate it. This has been the Frog Logic Podcast, show number three, right? The truth of ben, about Benghazi with, with interviews with my good friends Tig and Oz. Man, and I'm so privileged and honored. I'm honored to have served with guys like them. I'm honored to have served in the past in the teams. I'm honored to know guys like, to know these contractors. I'm proud to have been a contractor. I'm proud to uh, be an American. And I want to thank all those men that that inspired me to, to do what I do and inspire me to do it now, to share, share stories, to help the outside world understand why we serve. And I want to thank all of you for paying attention to the Frog Logic Podcast. And the last thing I want you to always remember, no matter what, when you're going, when it's hard and you're getting beaten down by the negative insurgency, that I'm here to light that fire in your gut. Just tune in and let me motivate you. Let me be your new swim buddy. Because I promise you, I'll give you everything I got. I will serve you until I can't serve anymore. That's the show. I hope you enjoy it. God bless you. Out.